I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch, and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. Uh, my guest in this episode uh, is a regular, and I'm going to make him uh, more of a regular because I enjoy our conversations. Chad Finn, a sports media writer and general columnist for the Boston Globe. In this podcast, we go pretty deep on ESPN, ABC, and the NFL Network's NFL draft coverage. Both uh, Chad and I watched uh, more draft coverage than a normal human being should, and we obviously have thoughts on the presentation and people... Uh, who uh, who were the on-air people for the ESPNs and the NFL Networks and ABC, uh, what we thought about the uh, the lower viewership this year, uh, which was pretty significant from the um, from the first round. Uh, we got into Amazon's first game. Uh, we both think they're, they did really, really well for their schedule. Then got into the NHL playoffs, how we expect ESPN and Turner to do. Talked a little Urban Meyer returning to Fox Sports uh which is, uh, seems like an inevitability at this point. Uh, Chad and I have our thoughts on that. And then the NBA ratings, uh, which always is a topic uh, seemingly for every sports media podcast that uh, at one point and uh, get into the Celtics uh, as well in terms of them being a viewership draw. So if you love sports media, you should like this one. Chad Finn for about an hour coming up on the Sports Media Podcast. All right. Chad Finn, as I mentioned at the start of this podcast, is the guest this week. You'll be hearing from him a lot. I'm going to try to have Chad on uh, even more regularly than he appears on this podcast uh, normally. And Chad, well, first of all, the traditional welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. Thanks for having me, Rich. All right. I mean, do you want to do uh, topic A, topic B, topic C, or can we just get into it? I know, you know. Let's just get into it and have our all right, here we go. usual charming conversation. Yeah. All right. So we're talking this this podcast will be very, very NFL draft um, heavy in terms, you know, and in, in, in our world, the chat and I uh, marinate in it's, uh, you know, we're not going to be analyzing where we think, uh, you know, Kenny Pickett should have been drafted by the Steelers or the run on defensive linemen. But on the uh, ESPN, ABC and NFL Network, NFL draft coverage so chad let me you know i just uh we're taping this on monday i just filed a you know more than four thousand word piece on this uh this draft coverage which honestly uh makes me an insane human being but i think the more i watch this stuff i have to be honest i think and maybe i'm just getting you know how a lot of people who write media they get like more curmudgeonly as they get older and they just want to rip the shit out of everything i feel like maybe i'm going the other way because i i have even though there are things about the draft cards I don't particularly love, like I really have immense respect for just how much work it does to um, to put on this stuff. So I'll get to my specifics in a second, but by and large, at least on this one, I did think all the networks sort of, depending on who you chose, um, provided you with what you needed. I was very heavy NFL network on night one. I eventually then watched the whole ESPN night one as well. I did. I I think the NFL Network had a better night, but you know, not so much to the point where 
if you were watching the ESPN or ABC coverage, you didn't get what you wanted. But overview, basically, how'd you see it? We'll start with that. Yeah, that's funny because I I watch uh, primarily the ESPN one on night one. Um, did the opposite of what you did, actually. I, I, uh, this morning, I watched a lot of uh, uh, NFL Network's coverage on uh, you know DVR, but um, I don't know why. I, I, I think it's out of... Uh, out of habit because you know Kuiper's been there forever but I mean Rich Rich Eisen's been doing it for 18 years now for the NFL Network so it's not like that's new anymore Um, but I I, I tend to gravitate toward that one and uh, honestly I'm not really sure why Um, you know it's uh, it's it's as favorable to the league and as willing to pat the commissioner on the back as the uh, if you want to call the NFL Network the league arm uh, media arm of the the yeah, NFL. I did, yeah. um, it, it it I know it's a broadcast partner, and and uh, you know they uh, have many many reasons to to treat uh, Goodell with reverence, but um, for their own business purposes. But it still struck me early in the broadcast how uh, how much they emphasize like Las Vegas is a party. You know, you want to be here. You want to uh, you want to come to the draft every ensuing year because it's a party and just, uh, Greenberg kept hammering that over and over. And, uh, just, um, you know, felt like, uh, felt like they were trying to sell me something that I didn't necessarily need to buy at, uh, at that point I was already there. Yeah. Fat, Greenberg fast and a lot of fast and furious, uh, uh, commentary. Right, so we'll, we'll get into some of the specifics. So, uh, and I can take the NFL network, uh, you can take ESPN, but, you you wrote a piece. Some of these things in your piece made me laugh out loud. Um, looking at the ESPN's night one coverage, and uh, just to be very transparent with the audience, like you know, I obviously I do check out days two and three, as I'm sure Chad does. But you know, I I am past the point of watching all seven hours on day three. I used to <laughs> and used to review it. It just it proved not to be a smart move because not enough people were watching those day threes for for to care about my take on the on the coverage, but you wrote on Greenberg, yeah. Greenberg slathers on the hyper, uh, hyperbole to the point where it's tough to tell whether he's attempting to be tongue in cheek. When the lions took Michigan's Aiden Hutchinson with the second overall pick, Greenberg noted that America fell in love with his family when he was a Wolverine. And then you write, my apologies if I missed a great story along the way, but I'd never seen the guy's family until they were lining up to hug him in the green room. I did. Uh, did I miss a great like, story? I mean, I'm, I, I know nothing. No, I think the Hutchinsons people. are a fine family, but like, no, this is this is you know. I thought he was. Steve we don't Hutchinson's know the Hutchinson family like we know the card. Yeah, we like we know the Kardashians or something <laughs> like it's. It's a Michigan defensive lineman who, um, you know, if you've heard anything about his family, you've only heard like probably since February when you know you're getting a lot of shoulder uh, programming for the draft. Yeah, and you yeah. know the one thing like the reason why um, I prefer certainly Rich Eisen to. Mike Greenberg, and certainly prefer Trey Wingo to Mike Greenberg. I probably, as much as I obviously thought he was, uh, you know, a carnival barker for a lot of his career, I certainly prefer Chris Berman to Mike Greenberg because I think, like Chad, the way I look at it is, I think there's real value for a viewer to have somebody who like lives in this content 365 days a year. So ABC's decision to put Reese Davis on the ABC or ESPN's decision to put Reese Davis as the host of the ABC college centric broadcast is smart. Like that guy watches and lives college football year round right? just by his, by osmosis, let alone preparation. He's just familiar with so many more players than one might be if they have to parachute in. 
And I feel like it's the same thing with the NFL draft. Like Eisen like lives this content 365 days a year. He just, you know what I mean? I think it's just sort of second instinct for him when it comes to the evaluations of teams or who the people are in the, in the draft. And that's, you know, Greenberg, he's never going to embarrass you. He's a total professional host. They got to get return of investment on his multiple millions of dollars. Uh, and so they want to put him on these whole pro- high profile properties. I get that. But man, like to me, I, I just think it would be a better presentation if you put somebody who is part of your NFL coverage. Just one of my suggestions was I would use Laura Rutledge or Sam Ponder. One, they live in this content year round. And two, it's probably would be great for them to get that kind of live rep. Just great for their own development as broadcasters. Yeah. But, uh, you know, as long as Greenberg is a is a favorite of Jimmy Pitaro, as he is, as long as Greenberg's a favorite of Norby Williamson and a lot of um a lot of upper echelon management. And, you know, in many ways he's also like, you know, he you are worth what they pay you and he's paid a ton and they wanna get him on their as many places as they can, right? Because they pay him this kind of money. I do think the draft would be better with a different host. That's sort of my filibuster there. Yeah. Your thoughts? Yeah, I reported six and a half million dollars a year. It's surprised he's not on twenty four seven. But uh yeah, I, you know, it's funny. You mentioned everybody but the guy I always thought was the best host, which is Trey Wingo. Um I, I did I did, yeah, no, no, no. I mean I, oh if I didn't mention him, I did. I Trey Wingo was Eisen's equivalent. And ESPN made a catastrophically terrible decision to let the guy go. I know for sure. I know I can report. I think I did. Trey would have stuck around. You're right. Even if he only had the draft as his, you know what I mean? Even if ESPN just used him solo on the draft, it it was a bad decision by them. Yeah, it was. And, you know, I, I think the consensus uh, among viewers and certainly people of our ilk was when Berman was still doing it and Wingo was taking later rounds, that it felt like an upgrade when uh, yes. Alan Trey, Trey moved into that slot. And that's no knock on Berman, who, you know, his approach and uh, just kind of general manner really fits the NFL and what they they wanted at that point. And, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, just how he is. Uh, but Wingo was really good at it. Um, Eisen, you know, it took me a while to come around on him. I, I hate the word because people always apply it to Joe Buck and I don't think it really fits, but I used to think he was kind of smug when he was a sports center anchor, when he was a yeah, younger guy. I get it. Uh, but I got watching and then he, you know, he got his, uh, his show, which uh, at first I thought it was really just an imitation of what Dan Patrick was doing and uh, taken from the same blueprint. But uh I tend to watch that show a little bit more now uh, with it on Peacock. And he, he's, you know, he's really engaging and kind of a likable guy. And I, I see him a little bit differently now. And uh, of course he's always been the pro in, in that role. And uh, you know, the one thing that I marvel at with all those guys is the amount of information they have to deal with. And, and Greenberg uh, was really, really good at this. And I know it's the producers and the people behind the scenes that are putting this in front of him. But every time anybody was picked, uh, they had the information right away and he jumped right into it, uh, you know, as if he knew, uh, deeply knew every every prospect that was coming up on the board when the whether it was the Patriots taking uh, a surprise in the first round, Cole Strange, you know, the, the guard from Chattanooga or other surprises along the way. Uh, they were ready for him. And I'm always really impressed by that because just the amount of information that they have to deal with. I don't think there's really anything like it uh in in uh sports broadcasting like like dealing with the draft live yeah it, it's a really tough assignment and and again like i um i want to be clear that like 
even if like I prefer others to Mike Greenberg, like I I, I absolutely admire how hard it is to pull that Me off. Me too. Yeah. Without without making big mistakes. You know what? You made an interesting point on Eisen. I just want to. I want to follow on that because I think you're right. Like to me, one of the things that's changed with Eisen, and maybe this just happens as you get older and more comfortable in your own skin, more comfortable as a broadcaster. When he was younger, I always thought he had to be the smart. He 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 was always trying to tell you he's the smartest guy in the room. Like that's how I read him. Like he was, it was almost pathological that he sort of uh, he had to let you know how bright he was, how clever he was, how funny he was, and I think some of that's been mitigated. Mm. And yeah. now as we've gotten the guy, and he's probably around 50 or whatever it is, I, I think he's just more comfortable in his own broadcasting element. And I'm with you. I think he's become an a excellent broadcaster, not just at the draft, but but elsewhere. Um, I think he's a really good interviewer. I think he's sort of thoughtful and smart in his takes. So, yeah, I wasn't always like flag-waving for Eisen either, but, I, but I've come around. Yeah, um, back in the Stu Scott days. Credit to yeah, him. Back, you know, back when he was paired with Stu Scott on the on Sports Center, it felt like they were always trying to kind of one up, uh, you know, Patrick and Olbermann or whoever, you know, whoever the the primary guys were at that point, and it was kind of off putting. And I, I'd, I'd probably be the first. Like I probably I was slow on recognizing probably just clearly how culturally significant Scott was. Stuart Scott was. Yeah, me too. And probably if you're those if you're those guys. You know, they may have been a better team than Oberman and Patrick, but yet they weren't getting nearly the the salary or the run that those two other guys were. No. You know what I realized it was Stuart Scott, not, not to go too far off track, but how athletes thought of him. Um, you know, just yes. uh, kind of revered. And um, yeah, it felt like, uh, you know, he'd do the interviews after the NBA finals. And Dan Patrick did that for a long time. Stuart took it over. Uh, and it felt like he was a little too deferential sometimes, a little too buddy-buddy. But then you... you Talk to talk to the players about what they thought of him, and he, you know, he felt like uh, one of their guys, and uh, that there was a, a real connection there. And uh, of course, as he got sick and the, the bravery with how he faced that, and then uh, after he passed away, how revered we we really found out that he was. Um, you know, I misread that one too during the the prime of his uh, yeah, young that's well, career. That's well said. And I don't want a Monday morning quarterback in here because I thought he absolutely was too close to athletes and I thought he kissed our ass. So mm-hmm. I, I just like, I don't want to be a hypocrite. Maybe he did. And, and sort of um, go back on that. That said, I'm with you. I think I, not I think, absolutely missed how impactful he was with um, with pro athletes, particularly of, of black athletes. Right. And I think one of the good things at least is sort of like, chat and in like sort of hindsight can sort of give you an appreciation for what you might have missed in in real time and i think that's that's you're on point because the reality is like there were not many people when you watched espn at that time who you know who looked like Stuart scott who certainly um provided the kind of lexicon or just sort of uh you know brought sort of like a little hip-hop style to sports center larry beal wasn't doing beat uh uh no he was not yeah yeah berman was not uh (laughs) yeah yeah right exactly so i yeah i mean i'm glad at least he's sort of been acknowledged for that um because you know i i didn't write i wasn't covering this at the beginning of scott's career but uh, you know there were he was certainly on the air when i was writing a little bit of it at sports illustrated so um so i missed it and i'm glad you uh you brought that up you know the one thing that like the one thing is I'm watching the draft coverage that I think like is pretty interesting, and I think ESPN found something here. And you wonder if the NFL Network, maybe, I don't think they'll do this, but there's value in it is. I like that they have two different broadcasts now for one that's really college-centric and sort of feature-centric, and the other that's sort of much more hardcore NFL stuff. 
Now, you may disagree with, like, who you have on those broadcasts. And, again, I think both of us chat if we were staff and this Mike Greenberg wouldn't be our host. Um, there are even times when, like, sort of it's a little too much Kuiper for me. But, again, like, I get it. He's a, he's a legacy guy. But I like I just like that ESPN philosophy that they've 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 give, they're giving you viewer choice depending on how you want to watch the draft. And while the NFL Network I think does an excellent job and is trying to be all things to to sort of all viewers, yeah, I wonder if they'll ever they would ever consider, hey, let's have our main draft broadcast here, and then um, yeah, I don't know, even if on like uh, like a like an online option where they're they're much more college centric and they bring a lot of their you know hardcore like scouting analysts on and they and they and they focus more on the college end than the than the NFL and I don't know I, I think ESPN sort of found something here um even if it uh dilutes the audience a little bit I think it's presentation wise I like that they're giving um viewers a different way to look at the draft I'd like to see the regional breakdown of what the ratings were like uh, does uh SEC country watch the 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 college game day version more than question. people up here I would assume we so. We do. I, w- I will say. I didn't mean to interrupt you here, but it's worth just so you, because I get your take on this. Um, we did get the breakdown from the first night yeah. in terms of the, you know, how many, who watched what, and let's see here as I'm sort of biding for time here. Okay, so the and we'll get to this. This will be the next topic we talk about. The draft was down this year uh, significantly, more than two, two and a half million viewers for opening night. And again, to me, like opening night is ultimately what it's about like the nfl will come up with like you know 78 million people watch the draft we were up but whatever you were down opening night was down by 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 two and a half million the breakdown espn a little under 4.5 million viewers abc 3.8 million viewers nfl network 1.7 1.8 million so espn pretty close with abc but significantly leading and both of those outlets um, if you combine them, you know, you're looking at a little over 8 million viewers for ESPN and a little under 2 million viewers for the NFL network. Yeah. That ABC number just still tells you the value of network television because yep, uh, that is the niche broadcast of the three, right? Co- college focused, the feature focused and two uh, twice the audience, more than twice the audience of NFL network, which uh, I think if I were doing a poll of readers or uh, people I'd just talked to about the draft, um, it's probably split 50-50 between whether they were watching that or the ESPN with uh, ABC as kind of the afterthought. But, uh, yeah, I just want to go back to something you mentioned uh, about the ESPN coverage. Um, you know, you mentioned Kuiper. Uh, to me, at this point, he's kind of like what Berman was uh, in, in his later years on the draft, where he's just this larger-than-life figure Um who you associate with it and you, you almost have to have there, but uh, the value added probably at this point isn't uh, equal to what the reputation is, uh, especially, you know, Mel wasn't on set. He was son vaccinated. He said for a medical issue. So uh, they had to, had to jump to him uh, at, at uh, Kuiper studios, wherever that is, but uh, Maryland. Yeah. yeah. I, to me, I didn't like, I thought they actually, I thought the, it was smooth. Like I had no problems with that. Like to me, that was pretty seamless. Yeah, it was. Like, you know, they didn't have any awkward moments. Uh, you know, Kuiper came in. I, I, You know, the one thing with Kuiper, at least, is, and I think it's almost a saving grace. And it, by the way, he he absolutely knows his, his shit. It's, he's not mailing it in, which I appreciate. He will occasionally sort of like say, like, this is a reach. This isn't a fit. Like that, you know, that's a that's one thing where I think all the draft coverage, it's, ve- and I'm not saying it's easy. It's very hard because, you know, these are like, 
these are incredible milestones and moments for the for these for these kids who get drafted. You don't want crap on them, um, yeah. But not everybody is is Tom Brady, right? You know, not everybody is is um it, you know is going to be the next Derrick Henry. And it's nice occasionally when you know somebody will come in and say, "Hey, like, wait a minute, like this feels like a reach. I'm not sure this is like the best pick." Here's why I don't sort of like this. They did that with the Patriots pick. But he hedges his bets now because he's they, he's yes. been burned on the Patriots before. He ripped them when they took Logan Mankins in the first round in 2005. He's a fourth round grade, and he was talking a mile a minute. Uh, and you know the guy is going to be on the Hall of Fame ballot. Uh, the other time he killed the Patriots first round pick was uh, 2010. Devin McCourty, special teams gunner, might play a little bit at cornerback. Um, he's still starting for the Patriots 12 years later. Uh, so yeah. w- when, when they made, they reached for this, uh, uh strange kid for sure. Yes. Uh, but Mel hedged it a little bit because he, you know, he's got some singe marks on his takes from, uh, from previously, uh, going against Belichick and, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how this one plays out. But I, I noticed that right away. I might even mention in my column that Mel was, uh, a little bit more reluctant to, to scold the pick than he has been in the past. Well, you know, I mean, you know, you know, I mean, even if Belichick's had a couple of rough years with the draft, uh, although I would concede, I think Mac Jones is going to be an excellent uh, quarterback. So last year is a winner there. Yeah, but a good yeah, one last I mean, year. yeah, you, uh, I mean, listen, again, Mel, Mel's had a phenomenal career, but, uh, you know, Jimmy Clausen never turned out to be a star. Who, Mel's still working. <laughs> who do you, I, who do you trust most as the analyst? Because this is, yeah, I trust, I trust, I think Daniel Jeremiah is a, is a, is a, I, Sort of to me now the the guy I trust most. I always have written this to death. Mike Mayock to me is the greatest NFL TV draft. But he was so bad with the Raiders, he damaged his I reputation. Get it. Yeah, right. So it's it does it hurts my <laughs> argument there that it does it didn't necessarily prove into practice. But that was the guy I believed who really like not only did like the film work, all the like endless hours of research, but then also talked to people in front offices plugged in who yeah. trust who trusted Mayock. Um, and I just thought he was. He really was really good during the draft and good on TV. But yes, like the reality is like a lot of times this happens, you know, like Mack went to the Raiders, like his draft was mixed at best, if not below that. I don't know how much of that was Gruden, to be very honest with that's you. That's true. Yeah, that's final a good point. Say. It's the same thing with Matt Millen. I thought Matt Millen was a decent broadcaster. He went to the Lions and obviously, obviously failed. But yeah, I like Jeremiah. Um and then listen, McShay and Kuiper are fine for me. Like I, I don't think they're they're certainly not hacks, and they certainly they know their stuff. But at the moment, yeah, I like in terms of the TV people. To me, Jeremiah's is, is the guy right. Well, now. Lewis Riddick isn't quite like the, the what what those guys are. He's kind of in between. Yeah, he's not. I don't. I consider him an analyst more than a draft sort of insider. But yeah, I think I mean everybody knows how I feel about Riddick. I think he's. I'm, I'm with you too, and I th- I think that's one of the reasons probably I tune into the ESPN version is is for him because he's a guy who goes out on a limb and he's been right about it a lot of times. He was the guy banging the drum for Patrick Mahomes. Uh, when everybody said he, you know, he's erratic, you uh, you can't play him right away, which the Chiefs didn't. But uh, he was uh, on an island with that back when uh, he went with the 10th pick in the draft and people thought it was too high. So I tend to listen to Lewis and I, I want to see him a, a, as much as I like him on TV. I want to see him get a front office job just to see if it goes better for him than it does for the Mayox and people like that that have uh, leaped into that role. When I talk to the Seth Markmans and the Charlie Ukes of the world, these are the people who are the point people for uh, the drafts. Star makers. ABC. 
NFL Network star makers. Yeah. In terms of the lower viewership number from round one, their thought, I tend to agree with them, their thought was that when you just have that many cities or that many teams that don't pick in the first round. nine? Yeah. yeah, you end up losing a lot of audience. They thought that the the lack of quarterbacks at the top of the draft wasn't going to hurt him as much. I, I would sort of counter that. I think that definitely still hurt him as well. But that's a pretty – I feel like their take is probably a good take that what might have hurt more than not having a Trevor Lawrence or somebody at the top of the draft was just – you had a lot of cities that had no interest in the first round because their teams weren't – And they don't tune what, in. What, how do you yeah, see it? They don't tune in for that. That That's absolutely valid. Um, you know what I noticed on the broadcast this year? Maybe it changed a little bit last year, but I, I certainly remember it being prevalent during the pandemic draft was – uh, they didn't dwell on the backstories of players so much, especially if they had uh, a tragedy where they, they yeah. just, that more, that's probably more ABC. Yeah. Now focus on yeah. that. But yes, you're right. And uh, the other thing was they, they didn't really emphasize players who were sliding. Nicobe um, Dean, the, the, the Georgia linebacker fell third round. Malik yeah, Willis on him. fell third round. You know, they kept mentioning them. They were the, NFL network did on Jermaine Johnson. Who's very high on Jeremiah's board. Oh, really? The, the kid, the jets got yeah. late. Yeah. The, and ESPN yeah. didn't so much, but uh, they would have hammered that over and over again in the past. You know, you think like Aaron yes. Rodgers in 05, they showed him every cut to a commercial. It seemed like, so uh, I think that's an improvement. Yeah. I mean, the, I do know that, you know, having talked to, execs over the years they have made it a point not to go uh not to go over the top on tragedy which you remember that one year was it two years ago or three years ago where it it really did feel like you were being hit over one the after another right. yeah it was yeah it was yeah it seemed like every so player. i think yeah they had they made a smart decision there that it, it was a little too much um you know there's a very fine line chad as you know you're trying to navigate obviously drama and in some ways you know, it's not so far away from drama to manipulation of a moment uh, versus, um, you know, versus sort of just like figuring out what is the best question to ask said prospect at that time. But yeah, I think, I think they've at least, they've gotten better in the last couple of years about not delving so like deep into somebody's past at that moment. Yeah. If it was a, you know, if there's criminality involved in their family or something like that. And there's a larger journalistic questions like, you know, if something happened to your father or mother or cousin, that's how relevant is that to your story? Unless you have made made it public that it is relevant to your right, story, your motivation or something like that. Did you think they, uh, having watched the NFL Network more uh, primarily uh, initially, um, did you think that they felt rushed a little bit because ESPN was because the picks were coming in rapid fire from the start of the draft. Yeah, they did. They, they said it on air. They, the, the, the teams didn't take as much time. Yeah. So I think it's, it, it the cadence and the pace sped everything. They couldn't fit everything in um, um, all their preparation. And there was, you know, the, the, the big trade obviously that happened is, um, well, I mean, there were a lot of trades that happened obviously, but the, um, you know, the, the, the Eagles trading, uh, the 18th overall selection, a third rounder for to the Titans for AJ Brown. That was a big one. That to me was the biggest moment of the first round. And that's just tricky. You know, they got it's tricky for them to navigate. They got to figure out, well, how much time do we take to talk about this? What it means for the Eagles and the Titans? You know, while still having a pick that's on the clock prior to this pick, and then talking about whoever the um, Titans are going to pick at 18. Yeah, it's and it and says so, pick you know, is in on the screen already. You know. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's challenging. You know, Amazon had a nice little moment at the draft when they um, announced what their first game will be in 2022 for their exclusive, um, you know, prime video Thursday Night Football schedule. We now know that's uh, Chiefs Chargers. Tony Gonzalez, who did that announcement, also uh, said he's going to be part of the coverage, although it's not clear exactly what he's going to be doing in the in the studio. Uh, you know, Tony Gonzalez to me is just he's just another guy. When it comes to broadcasting, not not bad or good, just sort of there. Um, so that's fine. For Didn't have any impact player. before, but yeah. um, I think yeah. it's a good first game. Again, I I think if we get the honest assessment of this package, the viewership numbers are going to be oh, way yeah. down compared to broadcast television. Trust me on this. But you know the the NFL does. You know Amazon paid a shitload of money, and the and the NFL if nothing else took care of them in game one. That's a that's a very good first game where, you know, in other years, you know, the first game of Thursday Night Football might have just been some, you know, interdivision battle between two teams. Right. I mean, what's it all about? Quarterbacks, right? You, and you got Mahomes-Herbert for your first game. That's uh, that's pretty tough to beat. And, uh, you know, it, it, you and I are going to hear about it. The, the people who cover this are going to hear about it on t- social media and, uh, you know, email and all of that. Uh when this game comes up in week two next season, where do I find this? How do I find this? Uh, this sucks. I have to, <laughs> I have to subscribe to something else. And that's going to, you know, that's going on with everything right now. Baseball, we got the NHL playoffs starting up where it's going to be spread all over the place. Everything is uh, 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 disjointed and, and distributed everywhere. Uh, and and this is going to be one more example of that, but uh, they have games that Monday night football would have, uh, killed to have a few years ago um and uh i that probably is going to have some effect on on driving viewership there a little bit faster than maybe you would expect from something yeah the other thing uh, i think that'll drive viewership or at least a little well more viewership the older is all the partners on sunday chad will will probably they'll be pushing it and thursday night football i mean that's you will see that in the first pushing week it. that yeah, yeah. push. You know, I'm not sure ESPN necessarily wants to push Amazon, or I'm not sure Fox wants to push Amazon, but they're they're going to do their job as partners in the league. So you will get some recognition there, and you know there will be people who subscribe, unquestionably. So um, just call me skeptical at least year one in terms of what that uh, viewership number will be. That said, I tip my hat to Amazon. They have approached this like. We're going to put together a quality product. Uh, you bring Fred Gedelli in, that tells me immediately that you're serious about doing football. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, Michaels and Herb Street, even if you, you know, are sort of have some um, questions about Herb Street calling the NFL, the guy's a very, very professional broadcaster. Al Michaels, obviously the greatest NFL play by play person of all time. Um, you know, Marshan has reported, I think, that uh, um, Kaylee Hartung is the leader in the clubhouse and, um, as a silent reporter, time. again, total yeah. professional there. You know they're going to have um, good people doing the uh, pregame show. Amazon's hired some really good behind-the-scenes people, Mike Mariano from the NFL Network and some others. So, like, th- they're serious about putting a good product on, and that's and I appreciate that. So I expect the product to be good, but you are correct. The, the, the larger forces that they have are just the average consumer who's like, I'm getting fucked all over the place here. I have to pay so much money for everything, and now you're asking me to buy Amazon, even though I have Netflix and you know what I'm saying or whatever. And it's it's a lot. It's 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 a big ask of consumers. We'll see. Netflix and Peacock for your uh, Sunday morning baseball Paramount game. Plus, and on and on and on. Soccer fan. 
and ESPN yeah. Plus if you're a college fan. I mean, it's, uh, it's a lot. So much simpler back when we had three three TV Cable stations. Ones. Yes, I know. <laughs> All right, NHL playoffs. Uh, Wait, I have a question for you. Go ahead. This is uh, just popped up on the talking about the broadcasting. Were you surprised most of Stark uh, uh, got Tafoya's gig for NBC? Yes, I am. I mean, uh, because everything I had heard was that Catherine Tappan Me too. Uh, had, the, had the pole position. Um, they put her on the Super Bowl. You don't put yep. someone on the Super Bowl unless you're sort of grooming them for the, the, you know a big position next year. So, again, I haven't reported on this, so this is – this is very speculative on my part, but my thought would be like that's somebody watched that Super Bowl and or something else, and you know who has decision making power at NBC and was like, we got to, we have to, we have to get someone else. Like, hmm. we need an upgrade. Because um, like, what else could it be? I mean, Catherine Tappan's a longtime NBC employee. Right, you have her there. She's done football. I mean, in all honesty, Chad, it's sort of, you think it's even cost effective, right? You have somebody under contract. So, and I had heard, I mean, how do I say this? I had heard pretty good sourcing that it was going to be Catherine Tappan from people who would know. So have I. Yep. Yeah. So, and I know she's Boston related. So, so yes, very, very I well was surprised. Person too. Hey. So Melissa Stark will do a good job. It's not really about Melissa Stark. I no. mean, she's, she's done this before, but yeah, I was surprised and you know, I wonder if we'll really get the story out one day uh, as to what happened. If you're Catherine Tappan now, I mean, I know you got to bite it publicly and not say anything, but that, that's a pretty that's a that's a professional slap in the face, is it not? Right, because I felt like she was ascending to that particular role. She was yes. actually past it. I mean, given what her Olympic responsibilities had been at, at certain points, Notre, Notre Dame, Dame uh, studio, you know, with hockey and. Um, yeah. she's also a person who really improved uh, from from when she started yeah, here. I think she's a very good hockey host. Yeah, and she, you know, she didn't really know the sport that well when she started here in Boston uh, at Nesson years ago and learned it to the point where you you really trusted her on an NHL broadcast, um, you know, in in uh, a role where you'd be exposed if you didn't know what you were talking about in the studio and uh, I was a little surprised by it because uh, she's kind of uh, has a reputation as a model employee. And um, yeah, I'm surprised too. I, I, again, maybe we'll, I mean, I'm not sure we're going to get the real story because the real story is someone in management made a decision, but I, I was surprised at that. Um, again, I, it also logically would sort of seem like a really good year to do that because um, Tariko takes over from Michaels, right? You're already having change on the broadcast to start with. And so, you know, to have a new sideline reporter sort of makes sense. But again, my, you know, my, my, my speculative analysis would be that's someone in management making a call there. Cause what else could right. it be? Um, and yeah, we'll see how that plays out. But again, um, you know, Melissa Stark's a professional and, and I, yeah, not a bad hire by any stretch, job. just a surprising one. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Uh, all right, a couple more things here. NHL playoffs. Uh, Turner uh, debuts its postseason. Um, at, you know, ESPN re-debuts its postseason. But I'll be curious to see what the viewership numbers are on this. Um, I think the presentation will be good. I, I Again, I always thought NBC really treated hockey well in terms of uh, production-wise. You know, you may not have liked Pierre Maguire. You may not have liked Analyst X. But, you know, they, they, they treated it as a, as a first-tier sport. On their, 
um, networks. And so I'm curious to see how both ESPN and Turner uh, does, and maybe particularly Turner, Chad, because like um, you know they've invested heavily in in hockey talent and and hockey production, and and I really like their production. I love how they do the NBA. And so I'll be curious to see how the how the postseason rolls uh, for the. Yeah, NHL. I think imitating the NBA, which they really have tried to do. I mean, obviously they don't have the dynamic in the studio with you know Barkley, Shaq, uh, Kenny, because that's a uh, that's a one off in sports broadcasting. That well, what those guys have together in Ernie, but um, they have done a good job with the production. Uh, I've heard more complaints about ESPN, especially the quality of, uh, you know, the audio and things like that over the course of the season. But I do think it's interesting. ESPN has a head start on this. If I'm not mistaken, they have the first three days of broadcast before Turner dives in on Thursdays. And they also have probably the most uh, appealing series ratings wise, I would think probably Penguins Rangers just with the New York market and uh, star power of the, of the Penguins and Crosby and that group, uh, which they kick off their coverage with uh, tomorrow night, I think tomorrow night, no tonight and Monday night. Tonight's uh, yeah. Hockey day, playoffs day, as we're taping this on Monday. Yeah. Day, so that's game one. Uh, so they get the, you know, they get the little, uh, they win the face off here. If you're looking for, um, you know, who gets uh, who gets out of the gate quicker with, between the two networks. But uh, I thought Turner has generally done a really good job this year. And uh, overall, I, I, I'm I a big fan of how they produce sports. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm looking at these series now in terms of we're just looking at our pure view- viewership play. Uh, the Bruins are a great viewership team in the NHL, but Carolina is not. Is not. Yeah. Tampa, Toronto, while two great teams, is a viewership killer in the States. That's not a factor. St. Louis, Minnesota, again, really interesting series. Great, fun teams, but not really major uh, sort of NHL markets. L.A., Edmonton, again, uh, no viewership there. I like the chuckle there. Again, (laughs) yeah, I'm not – this is no disrespect to any of these teams. It has nothing to do with the quality of the teams, but you're talking one Canadian team, so you eliminate that market. And L.A. has never been a great NHL market um, for television, so – Pittsburgh Rangers looks like the far and away winner. Washington, Florida is kind of interesting because the Caps are a pretty good TV draw, but Florida is not. Nashville, Colorado, locally that'll do great. Nationally, I don't see it. And Dallas, Calgary, the same issue. So, yeah, like um, there is some challenges that the NHL has. You know, like, Chad, like the reality of this is um, forget about the team uh, or who is on the team. What, What NHL broadcasters really want, they want the Blackhawks, obviously, first and foremost, mm-hmm. and they want the Flyers, too. Those are two mega markets, Philly and Chicago, for the NHL that are not in this market. And uh, this is a bit of a homer play by me, but I've always of the belief that if the Buffalo Sabres could ever get into the playoffs, that market is just so insane for hockey that the, the crazy numbers out of that market would, would be helpful. Well, that's never going to happen, so you can forget about well. it. Yeah, it might not. You know, it's been a long roll. Uh, but yeah, I'm with you. Pittsburgh Rangers is the best in terms of viewership, um, but the viewership is not going to be super high, and that's no disrespect to to hockey or anything else. But as I look at this in my sort of quick analysis, not the first round has some viewership issues uh, given the matchups. Not to mention it's obviously going against the NBA playoffs. It's going against baseball. Etc. It's really a shame Toronto is in Canada, as you know, because that Lightning Maple Leaf series yeah, well, is incredible. The the rate the viewership up here where I am in Toronto obviously will be off the hook, but um, but but that's not you know you're you're I'm not sure the 
the hockey fan who's a who's a fan of the uh, Bruins is going to be tuning in to you know Toronto Tampa Bay seven o'clock or something like that. You know, so it's like. Um, so I don't know. Am I? I oh wait, I'm actually looking. Bruins uh, are playing at the same time. Sunday. Yeah. Next Sunday, the Bruins have a 12:30 game. Interesting time for uh, for the playoffs. Oh yeah, they do. Like ESPN. That. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that that's a long hockey. Well, that's day. all TV, by the way. That's a TV TBS, day. Yes. That's a TV scheduling. You know, that's. I don't think the Boston Bruins were like, oh, we really must have a 12:30 start on Sunday. So. All right, couple more here. Uh. Urban Meyer, um, as I reported, uh, in deep negotiations to return to Fox Sports. We have talked about this on this podcast before, me and you, mm-hmm. in fact. And I think both of us were in agreement that Meyer would return. But I, I think if I remember right, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I predicted I thought he would – it'd be at least a year before he got back. Yeah, but once again, my own naivete when it comes to television plays in. It's not going to be a year. He's on his way back. No contract's been signed yet, but they are they are on the road and heading in that direction. And so um, September, Urban returns to Big Ten, um, you know, to his Big Ten um, root, uh, you know, roots with uh, with big noon kickoff. And let me just sort of say this, you know, I understand if you're listening to this, and you're like, holy shit, how does this happen? Like, I read all the shit about. What happened in Jacksonville? Meyer seems like just a totally horrible guy. Like, I get all that. At the end of the day, most of these networks are not in the moralizing business. I'm not saying they should or shouldn't be. I'm just being honest with you and telling you what it is. If you have relationships with executives, if they believe that you are valuable to their product and you haven't done something that's like so criminal where it's going to optically like be impossible for them to hire you, you can get hired by these places. And so Fox's thinking is what happened with Urban in Jacksonville was NFL specific. I might argue differently. I mean, I believe the kicker, the former kicker of the Jaguars. So let's, let me just put this blunt. I don't believe Urban Meyer, anything Urban Meyer says, quite frankly. But I'm just telling you, Fox is thinking like we'll deal with him getting killed on social media because we think uh, he was an excellent analyst. And to be fair, he was a very good analyst for them on that show. And we think he fits into what we're going to do. We'll deal with whatever fallout is. And I'm sure in many ways, they're probably thinking by like week five, nobody, nobody cares anymore. But um, that's the reality of life, unfortunately, is if you have connections and you're famous, you get fourth, third, fifth, 27 yeah. chances. High Q rating. I guess that's it, right? And they have the opening because Stoops, uh, Bob Stoops moved over to the XFL gig. But big factor. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I don't know. I, I didn't believe anything you said really before he failed with the Jaguars. So nothing's nothing's changed that much there. It's always a uh, uh, so many of these guys, but he's at the front of that list where, uh, you know, there's kind of an agenda behind what they say a lot of times or um, they're they're not going to criticize somebody who uh, may be part of their future at some point. You know, all of that. But yep. Um, I guess with the, the the people who uh, really care about the Big Ten and college football, he's uh, he's an appealing presence. I don't think he's getting any TV gigs in Jacksonville or anything like that in the future, though. Yeah. So here's what I would say to this, you know, for, take it for what it's worth if you care about my opinion or not. When it comes to X's and O's, like Urban Meyer diagnosing something on that show, I will listen and I will acknowledge his football acumen and, and that he has smart things to say on this. Anything, Chad, outside of X's and O's about coaches, about teams, about larger issues in the sport – 
I'm not believing. He loves hammering character issues. And yeah, yeah, I I won't even, I mean, by the way, I'm not even sure I'm going to watch the show. I guess I have to watch (laughs) it for my job, but like, so I have to make a decision, but like, that's how I look at it. It's like, there's not a single thing Urban Meyer will say that goes outside of X's and O's that I will believe that I will, that I will, that I will, that I will take him, um, that I, that I will take that and sort of believe in transparency because I, I, I don't believe he will be transparent. No, I don't either, but as I said, I never really felt that way about him and uh, trust him that way in the first place. So, Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, I, I mean, again, I'm not from uh, – neither of us are from the Midwest and, you know, we have no ties to Ohio State, but the guy comes off as an incredibly unrootable person, but uh, maybe I'm just missing it. Maybe, you know. I mean, I guess if I was born in Columbus and – was part of Buckeye Nation. I might think differently, but like, yeah, you know, I, I think like many college coaches, I just find yeah. him full of shit. I'll just be no. Crazy. Ryan Day is a lot more interesting. You replace him there. I, I covered him in high yeah, school yeah. up in he, New Hampshire. He's, he yeah, I is mean, that right? Yeah, he, he walked into a great situation. I'm not saying he's not a good coach, but man, you know, you're. It's very hard not to. I feel like if you're at an Ohio State with the kind of recruiting you get, like, don't you start with nine or ten wins? And it's really about the two or three games that you gotta. You got to win to get to where you ultimately want to get. No, that's to. absolutely true, and that's what caught him by surprise in the NFL. You know, first time he didn't uh, he didn't have the talent advantage, significant yeah. talent advantage. Not to mention, you got no like pros are much more savvy than some nineteen year old kid who you're scaring the bejesus out of by saying, you know, you're not going to play, you suck. I'm going to take your scholarship away. Like, you know, if you're some twenty seven year old defensive lineman, this guy comes in, you know, and he's sort of full of shit. You know, you're like, what are you going to do, man? Take my scholarship away? Like, it's NIL and the transfer portal evens that out a little bit now, though. I love it. I love it. All these people (laughs) complaining about NILs and transfer portal. Give me a break. uh, Like, these kids have been exploited for decades after decades. And by the way, especially if you're like at ESPN or whatever, you know what, ESPN? Like, if you got a problem with it, why don't you volunteer to put these games on for free? Don't take commercials. <laughs> don't get paid for it. Tell the NCAA you can do it for free. If you're, you know what I mean? If, if it's about the love of the game, if you're just trying to do what's right by college students, don't, don't, you don't, don't take any money for it. Yeah. Right? Right. Yeah. I mean, this is nothing we'll new. I remember, um, Mitch Album writing about this in Fab Five when uh, you know Chris Weber didn't have twenty bucks in his pocket and he's walking down the street seeing his jersey in store windows for you know fifty dollars or whatever they were at that point. Now, as it turned out, Chris Weber had some money in his pocket that we didn't know. He might about, have had some money, yeah. But <laughs> right, yeah, you know that that was the point. But the point is correct. Like the the amount of money the Fab Five made for Michigan, it changed college millions basketball millions and millions of dollars. Exactly. Was, they, that team was cultural, and those guys they're still selling those jerseys. Are they about not? It. Yeah, still. Yeah. They're they're still hugely popular. Yeah, I the the um and again, the uh I guess in some ways, you know, you I guess I have to sort of be part of the blame because I do work for a place that uh, that covers um college sports and the athletic and sports illustrated um and we're not paying them for access, although I would argue that, you know, um we're also not making money off them commercially the way the ESPNs and the Foxes are, but man, it's just like the, the people it's, it's, I have no patience for the people who complain about the transfer portal because these kids have been getting fucked for so long. Nikki V's big and on like that. Finally, now they have a little bit, a little bit of um, leverage. Yeah. And people are like losing their mind because like, Oh no. Um, you know, some player is saying that like, I'm going to transfer if this, 
you know, if this company or this team doesn't do X or, you know, oh no, you know, college coach X doesn't have 10 players next year on a 12 person roster. I mean, one out, like, they li- live with it, man. Hey, uh- like, <laughs> how many times did a coach? How many times have college coaches left their players high and dry for a better? Look job? at what Lincoln Riley did this year. Ah, oh, perfect example. Yeah, I mean that—that's the example you have to cite whenever somebody complains about, you know, my the the Miami basketball player saying he was going to leave if he didn't get a better NIL. Yeah, exactly. NIL well, you know, it's uh it's karma, it's justice, right? It's it's even now, We're close you. enough, closer than it's ever been, anyway. Yeah, it, it's again. Um, you know, I'm sure we can do a, uh, I'm sure we can do an entire podcast on that. But man, like, I guess I'm not surprised at it, but I think I'm bothered most when like the people who have made a fortune on college athletes take that take. Like, I like Vital a lot, and obviously, I wish him nothing but the best of health uh, in his fight here. But he's like, he's one who's just like always like been anti transfer portal. And he's hammering he's it on Twitter, yeah. Yeah, and just like, dude, man, like how much have you and your coaching buddies made over the years in this stuff? Um, come on. Yeah, I remember I, this is like, you know, when I was on Twitter, Chad, it's one of my favorite tweets, actually, that I ever had. I said, uh, <laughs> got a lot of attention. I said, I think ESPN should broadcast the CFP National Championship for the love of the game. <laughs> Go commercial free, except no ad dollars. No promoting Disney products. No executive takes a paycheck that week. On-air talent does it for gratis. Do this for the love of the game. This was about when all yeah you had a lot of like uh, on air types who were like how could the co- how could the kids not play in bowl games like how could they sit out do it you know do it for the love of the game you don't love the game enough if you're sitting out and just only thinking about the draft I mean this thing's been big business for a long time it's great to see like the kids at least get a minimal like a, 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 a like some minuscule leverage on this stuff yeah I, and you know and you you get some guys who are making more money in college than they will ever make as a professional yeah even if they have uh yeah even it, some of them won't have professional careers but they'll be college stars and make a make a few bucks and uh, that feels like how it should be you know given what this school that, gets I mean, from like them the reality, you know what like me and you are fortunate that like our prime business uh, our prime earning came like after we were in college, right? Like just, you know, you work for a while and you get to an established place as both of us did. And then you can make some decent money, but like maybe, maybe your prime earning years are 18 to 22 because you have this incredible athletic gift to not allow people to capitalize on that is the height of bullshit. Especially if you work at a place that's capitalizing on it. The biggest complainer about this has probably been Dabo Swinney. And have you ever seen what the oh. Clem, uh, Clemson football offices look like? They're like yeah, a freaking water slide. I mean, absurd. <laughs> Whatever that is. They don't have elevators. They have slides going from one floor to the next. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Again, like the, I could live I, – not that I could live with it, but like when when you see people critical of, of, of college students and college athletes doing this, like if the if the criticism of a college coach moving from a smaller program to a bigger program was like equal, then like at least I'd be like, okay, everybody's sort of being consistent here. But rarely is that outcry even close to what the outcry has been for players. Right. Um, it also, by the way, and this will be the last one before we end on uh, Celtics. Looking back, how ridiculous! And by the way, including people in the sports media, how ridiculous was it to like get on the Terrell Priors of the world and other people for like selling their article? The NFL punished him for that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, can you the, the NFL, which is now uh, in deep with gambling companies? I mean, can you believe just how ridiculous some of these um, offenses were considered back in the day? Oh, I know, I know. It, I, I mean, Pryor's the number one example. Getting tattoos, Perf- and, yeah, uh, 
Deion Sanders was way ahead of the curve on this. He was smart. He knew his value as a college student where most people did not. I know it was all shtick too, you know? You he completely figured out the marketing of it when he was a college player. It's, it's incredible. Yeah, he did. He was way ahead of his time. Bosworth in a way too. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Uh, Barzel, Bosworth's a smart yeah. guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um all right, the um one thing I noticed as uh We'll, we'll, we'll end this up here on uh, NBA viewership. The Nets Celtics series, uh, particularly that last game, was had phenomenal ratings. I think it was over. You might know this better than me, but over six million or something like that for a first round series. That's way up from years past. Um, no doubt, the Nets are a good viewership team. They got polarizing figures. They got stars. But I think the uh, Chad. I think at this point, as I look at the. Uh, as I look at all the teams left, if you're in the NBA, are you do you not desperately want the Celtics to be in the finals and obviously hope against the the Warriors? That that's like the best that that's far and away that uh, from what I see the best viewership team. No disrespect to the defending champs and the Bucks, but like I don't even think it's close. I think if you're in the NBA, do you not want the Celtics nationally to go far? Uh, it's interesting you bring it up that way because don't you feel like probably the uh, NBA broadcast partners wish uh, Giannis had moved on to a bigger market rather than resigning him? Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, I think I wish I think the NBA business partners wish Giannis was in the was in New York yeah, or out, yeah, sure, jo- uh, uh, super or Philly, LA. or Boston, yeah, yeah, or LA, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, uh, Warriors Celtics would probably be about the most appealing option they could get out of this. You know, Phoenix has been a the, the best team in the league for the majority of the year, but that's not a huge market. And, uh, you know, they're pretty beat up right now. But, uh, yeah, the uh, Celtics net series, I think it was game three that did the best. Um, almost was that like the 6.7 or whatever that was, 6.8? It was around six, but it was uh, a game, uh, game one was huge. Um, the, the one Tatum one at the buzzer, but uh, uh, four was on TNT, I think, and was kind of anticlimactic with the Celtics up 3 0. But uh, I know game three was, uh, I think they said their most watched first round game since 2010, somewhere around there. Wow. And that was uh, that was a Lakers game. I can't remember who they were playing, but um, so they were uh, they, they were only their only disappointment with that series was that it lasted four games because uh, the the numbers were great and uh, Celtics are obviously a huge NBA brand and they have a team that really caught the fancy of uh, not only locally but nationally with the way they played in the second half of the season. Yeah, although I will say, and I, I give Robert Simon a lot of credit for bringing this up uh, at Sports TV ratings. You know, a lot of this stuff obviously is because of out of home. You know, they, all these, everybody in sports is getting the getting the juice now out of the new viewership out of home rate viewership ratings, which you cannot do apples to apples, right? You know, from like 2010 and 2015, every single day. And again, I'm taking this from Robert. And I appreciate sort of him bringing this up on his own content places. Um, you're seeing Chad. You and I get inundated with like, particularly ESPN. Like, you know, this studio shows up 40 percent. This Sports Center episode's up twenty seven percent year over year. Like, yeah, yeah. So much of this one is out of home network. Let's just be blunt. Like a massive amount of it. Two, especially when it comes to NBA related stuff. Well, the the right the 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 calendar is back to normal, right? So you you are you know based on what you are competing against last year, it's the playoffs this year as a lead in versus non playoffs last year as a read in during this time. So of course the numbers are. Uh, are going to be up. So the NBA has a good story to tell, no question. They're they're up. But like many of the leagues, some of this is they're getting the boost of out of home viewership. Um and so 
we're not going to know, I think, for a number of years sort of where the real number lies. And I'm one who believes the real number has always been higher than given because I think sports is historically undercounted. But, you know, that you, it's just hard to compare at this point like a 2014 or 2017 rating versus a 2022 rating because now Nielsen is baked in out of home viewership, which is, you know, 10, 15% higher on everything. Yeah, as well they should. I mean, though, I, I, I'm glad yes. they are, uh, even if uh, there's questions about the measurements. But, yeah, the one thing, you know, you mentioned getting inundated, the, the, it's never apples to apples. I mean, like the, with the Celtics, they were comparing it to uh, Sixers Wizards last year. You know, uh, the, the matchup just isn't as compelling. Uh, Sixers Wizards yes. to, uh, you know, Jason Tatum and the uh, upstart Celtics against Kyrie and Durant. It's just, it's not the same thing. Of course, this is going to do better. Well, I, we'll save this for another conversation that we have because, again, we could do this for an hour. And, uh, you know, anytime you do sort of culture war and stuff, people lose their shit. And there's enough of it out there anyway. But, like, just on face, the fact that the NBA is up, like, does not sort of in many ways not blow the entire argument that, like, people left the NBA because of um, you know, too many uh, signs on the court or activism. Just hear me out on this. Because, like, if you were really turned off by that, right? If you really, like, were like, I'm never watching this again, like, you're now watching because there's not signs on the court. Like, your mind has been changed so much that you now love the sport itself because there's not something on the back of a jersey, which always just to me is just, like, sort of just foolish nonsense. I'm not saying people weren't, like, there were people who didn't like that. Like, I, I get that. I think they're, you know... There's issues on all sports. But, like, if you really were a true believer and, like, didn't like something, like, you would just come back, like, the next year because um, because there's a different, like, there's a, diff- there's, d- there's a different paint constitution on the court. You know what I mean? Because a jersey looks different. That's why I always think this sort of, like, the, the, the activism argument, particularly the NBA, is always sort of bullshit because, like, viewership's back up. If you really dislike the sport, you would never come back to the sport. It's the same thing with all the bullshit with the NFL. I'll never watch the NFL it was, except it was did. performative bullshit. The people who are saying that about yeah, the NBA right. weren't watching in the first place. And they're the same people. Right. That's my point. They're the exactly. same people say right. the game today isn't like it was in, you know, nineteen eighty five or nineteen seventy three or you know, whenever they were twenty five years old and in their heyday of life. It was just uh by the way, can I make can I not make the same argument? Like uh so NASCAR's up this year, okay? Can I like make the argument? Well, NASCAR has become a little bit more of a uh, an inclusive organization. Much more. Um, they've yeah, they've tried to be more progressive. Thus, they're attracting more fans. Like, can I not make that same? By the way, I don't believe that. Like, I, I think NASCAR is up for television reasons more than anything else. But like, couldn't I make that same exact? You know, you just flip the argument and make the the same the same thing. Broadening um, their audience. That, like, oh, you know, like oh, Sport yeah. X is up. Now, because of because because they're trying to uh, make things more appealing, WNBA is up. Uh, like like over last year, um, like are they up? Because like that's probably far and away the most socially active league that exists. Those players are incredible with this stuff. I, all I'm saying is like all that shit is so overblown, and you can just use it however you want to sort of signal your own POV into the marketplace. And again, I'm not being a hypocrite here. I have no, I have my own POV and no doubt many times sort of I'm writing from that prism, but man, if like anything just sort of showed you that it's bullshit, I feel like the NBA is a perfect example. Cause like in order to believe somehow that like people are back because there's less social justice, like sort of in front of your face is to argue that 
they they have no constitution that they somehow like were only bothered by symbols, but yet loved the game and now have come back. They were never there in the first place. They they That's they stopped watching when uh, you know Michael Jordan retired or Larry Bird retired. Correct. Or, uh, the, this isn't the this isn't their league, and they they just want to complain about it. Right. By the way, baseball used to draw uh, 33 million viewers, 36 million viewers for the 1970s. It doesn't anymore? Yeah. Should I like write a whole piece as to like, all right, here's my new piece, okay? Because baseball doesn't, um, isn't, doesn't have activism on a daily basis, that's the reason they've lost 27 million viewers for the All-Star Game. I just make something stupid up like that. That's not like, that far again. off, you know? From- yeah. Things change like... We're we just we're we are coming out of a fucking two year pandemic. All sorts of like sort of television metrics have 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 changed. You have out of home viewing, which sort of changes viewership uh, as well. All I would say to you is, if you're just sort of listening to this, is like give people a little more credit, like in terms of their beliefs. Like if you again, if you like really like we're one of these people, like I'm never watching the NFL again because of Kaepernick, <laughs> uh, or uh, you know I'll only watch the NFL again if Kaepernick comes back. I'm not sure you're really the diehard sort of NFL fan that's been there the whole time. If you're in either of those directions, so that's my only speech over. Anyway, I'm sure I'll get a lot of hate, hate, uh, you know, hate, 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 hate reviews for this. But if you do like this stuff, please head to uh, iTunes. <laughs> that's or, a hell of a segue, uh, Stitcher or Google Play, <laughs> and give me a five star review because fuck, man, I'm gonna eventually need the money from this podcast when the athletic fires my ass. So there you go. All right, Chad, is there anything else that? Uh, you would like to cover. We went much longer than I expected. I apologize. Poor Patrick Antonetti. I think I told him 40 minutes and I'm already over an hour. No, now. Poor Patrick. No, I, I was all NFL draft this week, man. So I was uh, happy to talk about yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 the one thing I like about watching drafts just in our jobs is I really do find myself like so much more prepared for the season ahead. You know what I mean? Like I know like so many of these people now where I would have never, uh, where I've absolutely never have like paid attention so like I'm interested in like you know how Sauce Gardner does or uh, how that dude the guard from that the Patriots drafted uh, that everybody sort of was like was a reach like that's interesting to me now I want to see how these people do Cole Strange uh, so that's one thing that's one positive about watching so much draft coverage yeah I, it's amazing isn't it I mean what I remember from the draft as a kid was that it was on ESPN and nobody really watched it and Doctor Z was on there saying Marino was a terrible draft pick <laughs> and uh, that's right, uh, yeah. otherwise nothing really stuck with you. Um, it's a, yeah, it it's is a great amazing, television product. I, I, I give the NFL a ton of credit. They, uh, they, they, they fucking turned reading envelopes into a <laughs> massive money maker because it's not just a television show. It, it's literally a festival in those cities. It is a multi-million dollar enterprise and amazing. You tip your hat to everybody who sort of was part of that. All right, Chad Finn. Sports media writer for the Boston Globe, general columnist as well. He will uh, follow his work on the Boston Globe, follow his work on Twitter. Not only will he be doing sports media stuff, but he will have uh, columns on the Red Sox and Celtics, Celtics and Bruins. Celtics, uh, as always, Boston is a factor when it comes to the playoffs, and uh, and they are again this year. Chad, thanks so much uh, for joining me on Sports Media Podcast. We will do this again soon. Thanks, man. Always great talking to you. All right, back in the studio, my thanks to Chad Finn for his time and always a great conversation. If you like these podcasts, uh, please go to the Sports Media with Richard Deitch page on iTunes or uh, or Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you get podcasts. Leave us a five-star review and a nice note. Uh, that's how this uh, 
this podcast will continue. I should probably pitch that more at the beginning of the podcast because I can really use some reviews. So uh, to those who've done, thank you. But uh, if you want to give us one and you like this stuff, please, it it does help. Prior podcast to this one, covering the NFL and the NFL draft with Michael, Sean Duger, Sean Reed, and Rhiannon Walker. Those are all my colleagues at The Athletic, and we had a great conversation just on what it's like to be a beat writer for the NFL. I think you really find that interesting. Susie Colbert of ESPN was also a guest speaking in the NFL draft, and uh, that was a great conversation just uh, about her career, snaking at ESPN. I think you'll enjoy that. For that, Gus Johnson on calling the NBA again. Um, he's, uh, you know, it, one of the joys of Gus's life is to be part of the NBA, and, and he was that for the first round of Turner Sports. Before that, ESPN investigative reporter Paula Levine and ESPN senior writer Tom Junot on their pretty amazing piece on Todd Hodney, the uh, former Penn State football player who uh, was a serial predator and rapist and murderer in the 70s, a story that really nobody uh, wrote much about until uh, Paula and Tom were on that case. Uh, again, there should be things in the archives that you enjoy. And check those out. For Patrick Antonetti, thank you as always to his uh, to him for his help. Thanks to everybody, Kane's thirteen, and thank you for listening. We'll see you soon on the Sports Media Podcast.